families and loved ones. No matter where they live in this country, we'll be there. We all come together and stand together to serve our veterans. We stand strong, united. Stand with us in caring for our veterans. Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday in the studio. I'm Tom King and Merle Kelch is here in the studio today, ladies and gentlemen. I am here. I am live. Um, <laughs> alive. Almost. Yeah, well, other than a little bit of the uh, the old uh, uh, Rona Ling- fatigue. Lingering yeah, yeah, coronavirus yeah. fatigue for Merle this morning. What a what a, uh, a, a great experience this has been. It's been wonderful. Well, folks, he, had, he, to- <laughs> he told me off the air that sometimes he has been nodding off at his desk without, oh, yeah. without realizing it. So uh, I'll yeah. just keep an eye on you today, and I'll bang on well, the uh, you know, partition I, I, there. I, and, yeah, but part of the things that, you know, folks, Tom and I were sending a text, and so I, I got a little bit of the dry cough, which is, you know, lingering afterwards. And so so if all of a sudden you hear blanking, it's Tom scrambling to the cough button uh, so that doesn't pop up. That and the, the lingering fatigue, that's pretty much all I had. I never even had a fever in this whole thing. It just well, amazes me. certainly the market wasn't fatigued uh, at the end of this week. Um I, d- I didn't see the numbers from yesterday. I should have looked that up. But Thursday, uh, the Dow went over 31 for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit a record high. <clears throat> up about 70 yesterday. But stocks yeah. entered the, uh, the the headline on CNBC this morning is stocks enter the manic, exuberant bull market stage. But that doesn't mean it's near ending. Yeah, Michael Stantoli's column: the market looks near a point where the only plausible next move is a bit of a cooling off period uh, or an overheating phase. And uh, he says the avid embrace of risk in pursuit of quick reward is hard to deny with surging flows into stocks and double mm-hmm. in Bitcoin in a month. A lot of yeah, money yeah. that has been sitting out, pouring into the market now, is that's what's causing this to happen? There, there's two kind of things. And, and uh, Jim Cramer on CNBC had a um, our, yeah, CNBC had a, uh, a thing that was out there. And he asked a, a longtime trader over many, many years and says, why does the stock market keep going up? There's no mathematical reason it should be. And the uh, person, I forget who the name was, told Jim Cramer, he says, well, it's because there's more buyers than sellers. And he said, it took me years to figure out what he said. And he said, you know, and I think we're in one of those instances. The stock market goes up when there's more buyers, when people want to just keep buying something. I have to look, in my opinion at least, is, is we take a look at Tesla for that. The stock price keeps going up. We keep wondering why. And, and uh, Bitcoin's probably the same thing. It's not going up for any fundamental reason. It's just going up because people want to keep buying it. And I think we got some of that inside of the stock market. So the expectation was is after Georgia, if the uh, Democratic side took uh, the uh, both Senate seats, as we'd see a great big plunge inside the stock market. In fact, in my office, uh, many of my colleagues, people that I know, as well as many of the commentators that you saw on CNBC, uh, they were all expecting the same thing, and it didn't happen. And yeah, that didn't happen. <clears throat> so what happened then, as you dig a little bit deeper, what happened is – that there are a number of firms that says, well, uh, now with it's going to be this case, uh, there's going to be all kinds of, of, of stimulus and money that's going to be pouring into the marketplace uh, because of all the stuff that's going to be voted into the House and all the stuff that the, the new administration coming in wants to pour into the economy, et cetera, et cetera. And so the marketplace essentially took a pause and then went up a little bit and said, well, geez, we might get a $2,000 stimulus coming up relatively soon. And so with that being the case, it, it forced the market to stop and pause, and it kind of drifted its way back up again. And then people started buying into a bunch of stocks because they were buying into a bunch of stocks. Now, mathematically, does that make sense? Um, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know well, that makes- all the things are going to get poured into it. But that's the reason we saw the market, and I'm going to call it a drift up, for lack of a better term at this time. He makes the same point that you make with Tesla. He says Tesla's valuation has outpaced anything observable in the business by such a distance that it's become almost a pure abstraction, an idea like Bitcoin. Tesla mm-hmm. Tesla's a little bit more 
um, less abstract than Bitcoin, though a Tesla makes something. They make something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I love that you said that. So, um, so the son-in-law, um, uh, who we'll see next weekend again, I'm certainly have the conversation, sends me a text regularly. He bought some money inside of Bitcoin. I said, I hope you bought $100,000. This would be great. He goes, no, I didn't. But um, I'm going to pick on him. And, and so, Brandon, if you're listening, I'm going to pick on you. So he's the world's greatest investor now because he bought Bitcoin uh, you know, six months ago. Um, all right, so I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. But he keeps saying, this is going to be great. And I, I keep saying, you got to watch it every day right now. So we look at it. There's an article that's up there by uh, Sonny O. And come on, computer, there we go. I'm sorry, this one's by Mark DeCambre. He talks about uh, Bitcoins in the article. Uh, the, the top of his article says, uh, Bitcoin parabolic price surge near 42000 may be the mother of all bubbles. And so they go through inside of this article, Tom, and they talk about the bubbles that are out there. And uh, let me give you the relationship. Uh, one second. There we go. So uh, back in 77 to uh, 83, Tom, remember when gold went up some 400%. Remember those days when everything had gold, everything went up in mm -hmm. price? Insane. Then you had the Nikkei that bumped up in you know, 87, 91, the Thailand, the tech bubble that happened throughout 99 to 2001. I remember that. I was in this, certainly in this business back then at that point, too. Um, Tom, we all remember the housing bubble that came out throughout the 2000s. At that particular point in time, the housing bubble went up some 200%. China, from 05 to 2000, went up uh, some near 500%. The biotech of 13 to 17 went up some 100% biotech. We can even take a look at FANG, which is happening right now still, at some 200% increase. And there's Bitcoin. So his point is that this has all happened before, and uh -huh. all of those things came crashing down at some point. Quickly. Yeah. And Bitcoin also did it back in 2017, just not to the same degree. And so here's Bitcoin, um, largely between the end of 21, up a thousand, yes, one comma, zero, 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 thousand percent jump that it went up. And we look at this, and so is it sustainable? We had somebody from JP Morgan Chase come through and say, well, we think it could hit 140 if money keeps pouring into it. And, and well, could that happen? Maybe it could. Um, um, and if it does, and if you had money and that you put in six months, uh, God bless you. You're making a lot of money. Can't say that you're not to. But the thing is, is we just gave a, a $1 trillion capitalization to Bitcoin currency. And, folks, it produces nothing. Well, it's the perfect example. Makes nothing. The perfect example no is, is a hot craps table. I mean, hot craps table, you just keep doubling your bets every time a winning roll comes. Double your bet or keep adding on to your bets. Pretty soon you got a mountain of chips on all the numbers, and then the seven out clears the board. Yeah. And mm -hmm. everything's gone. <clears throat> yeah. So if you yeah. if you have yeah, yeah. Bitcoin right now, sell, 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 take your money and uh, be very happy with whatever and, you yeah, can get out and, of it. And I've I've I did this with uh with son in law as well as a couple of clients. Okay. So so I look at it this. In fact, I did some with this with some clients and they're probably listening with Tesla. I did it in the beginning of the year. I said, Tesla's running up, I don't know why. Um, I said, why don't we sell out the original investment? We have a guaranteed profit. And so at that point in time, I said, what's a, a guaranteed profit? Because they had had it some year, year and a half. I said, is a 20% profit enough? Oh, yeah, that's a great return. Fantastic. We'll sell enough stock to take your money back plus a 20% rate of return. We'll let it run with the house. Just let it run. And this turned out brilliant for these clients with Tesla. So now we come to Bitcoin. We look at Bitcoin. I said to the son-in-law uh, a while ago, I said, Take your money out, plus make yourself a profit. And I actually gave him the 20% before. I said, take your money out, plus 20%. I don't think he did it. By well, how do, you, how do you buy? How do you invest in Bitcoin? It's not like you can call. Can you call up a broker? Can I call up you and say I want to buy Bitcoin? There are I mean, some it's not available that, on, the, on the, the New York Stock Exchange. It, it is. Uh, it in is? fact, I can actually go to a cash really? app that's on my phone and buy Bitcoin. 
I mean, you can. It's that simple. You can do it that way. Huh. Um, and which I think makes it to to, uh, to the point that is running up because it is that easy. And you're not buying a whole coin, obviously. You're buying a Remember share Remember when of it, Bitcoin something... started, people would go on the internet and it was called mining for, for Bitcoin. They were mining for a coin, correct. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a lot different now. People don't do that anymore. No? I don't. I think the I think all the coins are found or, or now have been uh, done. It, I, it's, I, it's a long, complicated thing, but yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I still don't understand how this all uh, how this all becomes such a massive thing. I mean, exactly. Now back to my point. So now we have a trillion dollar. I'm gonna. That's not even entity because it doesn't have any sort of a, anything. It's a, it's a twenty, a one trillion dollar handshake, folks. It doesn't produce any profit. It doesn't make any product, but yet it's worth a trillion dollars. And those of you that have Bitcoin going back and forth and own the, uh, own some some coin, um, are, are making a lot of money. And, and God bless you. That's fantastic. But boy. I don't think there's anything wrong with going through and saying, all right, if I put money in six months, uh, six months ago, and I've doubled twice, by the way, at this point in time, it's okay if you say, well, I've doubled my money in six months. I'm going to take that out and let the rest of it run. Um, there's nothing wrong with doing things like that. And uh, so, but Bitcoin, again, boy, if you're going to invest in it, understand what it is. And it's complicated. It's easy and complicated all at the same time. But its value is, on what somebody's willing to sell it to you for, um, um, or what somebody's willing to give it to you, uh, give it to you when you want to sell it. That's the only thing that makes the value. So if a lot of people say, "Well, we're just going to start getting rid of it and we're not going to give you what the price is," it comes down like a house of cards. We saw it happen multiple times with Bitcoin. Remember, Bitcoin was at nineteen thousand at one point in time and went down below five, at five thousand, and now we're sitting at uh, was it forty one? I think it closed at on uh, Friday, something like that. Um, and it's just it's just insane, and it's based upon handshake. I would be interested if we have anybody listening who is heavily invested in Bitcoin. Give us a call here this morning and explain to us um, how you did it, why you did it, and do you expect to sell here soon in order to avoid the bubble popping, or do you think do you even think there is a bubble, uh, or are you, are you going to keep rolling with it? That that would be fascinating if somebody's out there that yeah. actually is doing um, it. You know, in in, in in if you do call in. Uh, uh, we're not going to pick on you. <laughs> we just want to further understand, you know. So yeah, I just want to so understand. I, I, you know, I've said it before. We we had um, uh, a son of one of our clients um, uh, did really well, inherited some money, and this was way back before when Bitcoin was at you know hundreds of dollars a share. Um, inherited some money from grandma and put it all inside of Bitcoin because he was young and that ilk and that age. Um, put it in there and made millions and millions and millions. And he said, "I won a lottery." He said, "I I know that this." He said, "I want a lot." Did he get rid of it and, and get, yeah, get his did. cash? Yeah. yeah. So he, he took the cash and uh, young guy and and uh, uh, essentially retired and and, um, uh, and we're helping out with some diversification from that standpoint. But you know, he's essentially retired and raising uh, little guys and and perfect. I mean, so, so you smile and say, "Okay, that worked." But it's it's I, I I cannot call Bitcoin an investment. I can only call it a bet, and that's the best thing I got for this. All right, seven one five eight four five twenty one fifty five. Phone lines are open. If you have a question for Merle this morning, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. When it comes to the war on drugs, is really quite irrational the way that it's been run. WSAU and WSAU.com. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, along with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. Wanted to talk a little bit more about this story, talking about what the market's doing and, and what the thinking is of why the market's doing what it's doing. One of the things he talks about in his article is uh, that the 10-year Treasury yield jumped above 1% last week to finish at 1.1. 1. 1. 
He calls it a catch-up move to other market-based reflation indicators as bond traders hustle to account for more debt-funded fiscal help. Yields, even after this jump, remain in a sort of sweet spot, endorsing the case for better growth and brisker inflation, but not yet high enough to pinch corporate and mortgage borrowers or badly undercut stout valuations on equities. You haven't been too bullish on bonds recently. Is that going to change here anytime soon? Um, Not at this particular point in time. Um, But what they're talking about in here is what happens with the yield curve. Um, So let me make this more simplistic on what they're saying in in the side of this article. Um, there's a thing called the yield curve, folks, which talks about interest rates that you get on your 30, your 90s, your two years, five years, going out to your 10s and your 30s and so forth. And when you, you put it on a, a chart, it creates what's called a yield curve. And so it's supposed to be lower than what it is today, or lower today than what it is at a 10-year going out to a 30. And so when that's the case, you have a normalized yield curve, which shows that things are usually going in the right direction, um, as opposed to what's called an inverted yield curve, when interest rates today are higher than interest rates, say, in a 10-year um, it shows that we have an economy, or we have a um, recessionary period of time coming. Now, from time to time, we'll have a, a, a it'll invert for a short period of time for a reason we can usually explain, and then it, it straightens itself back out. And so, when we see the yield curve yield curve go over ten percent on the ten year, that means we're going in the right direction. Uh, that simply means that our long term debt, um, uh, if you're going to have long term debt, you're going to get a higher interest rate. Um, you're going to have more of a cost for long term debt than a short term debt, and it all that all means good stuff. If we saw it inverting, we'd see that we're starting to have maybe some inflationary pressures coming up, which uh, which if we don't get the economy going here um, uh, soon, we could end up having some inflationary pressures because there's so much cash out there right now. Um, so so with that being the case, um, the, the 10-year yield curve going up over 1% for the first time is actually a very good thing when we take a look at all the stuff that could possibly be happening. So with that, it doesn't really change much inside of the bond marketplace. The bond marketplace, we essentially need the interest rates uh, from the current interest rates to start going, um, um, almost in the sense that a rise in current interest rates or short-term interest rates um, is going to help fix the bond marketplace because the bond marketplace is so um, overpriced right now. And still, um, on the inside, though there's been some uh, money jumping back and forth in the bond marketplace because of the Fed uh, buying corporate bonds as well as money flowing into and out of the bond marketplace based on the stock market and all the stuff that's been going on, but at large, it's difficult to find some good, high-quality bonds that you want within a price and an interest rate that you want. Well, let's say that we get a market correction, for want of a better term here, that uh, stops this rise in inequities. Uh, normally, then, the escape from that would be into bonds. That's part of it, yeah. That, does that make bonds then more expensive and harder to get, even harder to get then it, at that well, point? Well, it doesn't make them harder to get. It just makes it more expensive. More expensive, yeah. Right. So, yeah, well, that's a- you know, you know, for an example, I'm, um, uh, folks, I'm a huge fan of municipal bonds. I mean, I've, I've used them for years. They're one of my favorite things to do. And uh, in our industry, there's a whole bunch of weirdos that are out there that like bonds. I'm one of them. Um, bonds are fun. They're fast. They're quick. And the marketplace is bigger than the stock market. And, and they're fun to find them. And, and you see them. And I, and I enjoy bonds. I'm a weirdo that way. And, and what I like about the bond marketplace is usually the guys that are buying bonds are buying a mountain of them at one shot, especially if you get good ones. And, and I, I think some of my biggest discoveries in this were the old uh, Southeast Wisconsin Sports Authority bonds, the Brewer bonds, if you will. And at one point in time, Tom, you could get a, a 5.1% tax-free insured municipal bond. Um, uh, and, and, by, and where do you get 5.1% tax-free? And it was triple tax-free for federal and state because it was a state-issued bond. It was just phenomenal bonds. 
and we'd find them at $100,000 at a pop, and as soon as you call the client, we'll take them all. Do you have any more? Um, by the way, folks, they, they're out there, but they're, you're not getting that yield anymore because the price is so high. So if you pay a higher price, it means you're not getting 5.1% because your price factors into it, and you're getting a couple percent, 1% maybe at best. We can't find stuff like that anymore. Uh, the best you go around, you search around, you're finding something at 1.6%, 1.5%. At that, you're almost better off just using a CD because you know at least interest rates are going to go up in a short term versus buying a bond and locking it in. And so that bond marketplace, it's out there. You can buy the stuff, but you're just not going to get the yield that you want right now. And it makes it so difficult from that. And so then you get you know, guys well, who Well, how are, is it going to get better then if the, mar if the stock market corrects and stocks uh, are less uh, attractive – you would think that it would get even worse at that well, point. Well, there's actually a natural correction that always happens with bonds in this time. It's just that in this instance, it's been like this about the last four or five years. Um, and, uh, and and so what corrects it is a recession, uh, because what happens during a recessionary event, yes, you can still make money in the world in a recessionary event, but it's usually inside of bonds. So what happens, the money starts leaving into the stock market. As money goes into the stock market, interest rates start to go up to thwart inflation. And as the interest rates start to go up, the bond prices start to drop. Bonds become attractive. You go in, you buy up some good bonds, and hopefully buy some bonds that are going to last you know, 15 or 20 years. You buy a long maturity side of it. And I own that bond for a long period of time. You don't care about when we swing around and interest rates go down, the bond prices go back up. You don't care. Is that what most people do when they buy bonds, buy them for that long a period of time? <clears throat> it depends upon what the bond buyer wants to do. Uh, sometimes you have a bond buyer who says, I have this chunk of money. I uh, want to put it someplace for five or seven years, and you start looking at buy building a portfolio for that. Um, some of them just want to make sure they have yield and they have interest coming into their, their uh, uh, brokerage account every couple of months so they can pay themselves a monthly wage. It just depends upon what the person wants to do. All right, we need to take a break for some news. When we come back, we're going to talk about high beta stocks versus low volatility ones. We'll find out what's going on with that when we come back. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. My friend Teddy almost set his house on fire. He used a counterfeit, you know, a fake wall charger. He had to go to the hospital. My big sister Jenna's face turned bright red. She was just showing people online how to use a new cream. She still has the scars. My brother's friend Billy had to... I'm going to go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. There's a place to share the joy of your team winning it all and a place to share a laugh about skiing and taking a fall. There's a place to share photos of pets or singing in the choir or the time you ate a pepper and your mouth was on fire. But we could all be better at sharing how we're feeling inside. 76% of employees have struggled with at least one issue that affected their mental health. When you share, you're not alone. Ask about your company's emotional health benefits. Visit heart.org slash sharing. Brought to you by the American Heart Association. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, along with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. Oh, this thing again. <laughs> Folks, I was busy doing some stuff you know, and looking around. We've been doing this show for how many years? And like, Can you believe it's going to be 20? I'll bet you three out of four times during the month, uh, you're not ready to do the disclaimer. Well, you know, the thing is, I'm deliberate, just sometimes a little legged. Okay. All right, here we go. Folks, the opinions voiced on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual. 
To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. HBEC Incorporated and Kelch Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. All right, let's talk about uh, high beta stocks and low volatility ones. According to the article we were talking about earlier, the, uh, the author says the performance of high beta stocks, more volatile and cyclical ones versus more defensive low volatility ones is at a decade high. What does that mean and is that good or bad? Um, it's to be expected. So, uh, I'm making a note here. So first of all, let's, let's talk about what beta is. Um, I have to uh, back up and, and pardon me folks. I'm going to take two minutes before we can come by and start answering some of the questions on here. So beta is a measure of volatility and, uh, it's all based upon the volatility S and P 500. Interestingly enough, S and P, which is standards and pores, um, came up with this thing as a measure to, of course, keep their name in front of them. Um, so that uh, we see their company as a place of value and they can sell their services. So that's literally how it started. So the S&P 500 is said to have a beta of one. It is our baseline, if you will, if you've ever been to the heart doctor. <clears throat> Excuse me. So with that beta of one, if you have a stock that measures 1.2, it would be said to have 20% more volatility, which means it goes up faster, down faster than the S&P 500. Uh, thereby, if we have a beta of 0.8, we have 20% less volatility, means it's going to come down less, up less than the S&P 500. So that's what beta is. It's a measure of volatility based upon uh, the S&P 500 being our baseline. So they've got three-year and five-year and all that sort of stuff. But, but for sake of ease, we're going to keep that uh, relatively the same place. Uh, we're just going to leave that alone. So if we look at what's happening inside of the marketplace right now, um, this past year for high beta stocks, which is almost always, uh, 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 at least this year, um, has been your tech stocks. Your tech stocks have taken off. And we look at the fangs, we look at even the smaller companies in tech. It seems anything tech this past year has just taken off like a rocket. And those things, if we take a look at the measure of their volatility compared to the S&P 500, is higher. So they're considered high beta or more volatile types of stocks. And so what we find then is that as time goes on, many portfolios tend to get riskier because of the growth itself on the inside. So we have a, a, a farmer client of ours, and I know that he's listening. So yes, I'm picking on you if you're listening. I'm just going to give you the initial J. Um, and he loves Microsoft and bought a bunch of Microsoft years ago. And he wants to keep buying more and more tech stocks and tech stocks and tech stocks. Well, he's, he's also 66 years old and doesn't need to be having more and more tech stocks. Yeah. And so I said, no. I said, you got to sell something else. And so we have some fun with it with he and I back and forth. But as he's getting older, he wants to keep buying more tech because that's the price that goes up. And so the result of buying more and more uh, tech stocks or things with high beta or volatility to it, it means that as you're getting older, you're making your portfolio riskier. Makes sense, doesn't it? Well, no, it doesn't. So what we have to do is watch simply – you know, where is the beta? If you don't know what the beta is of your portfolio, ask your advisor and say, well, geez, where's the beta of my portfolio? So you have a determination of where's the risk of it? Has it gotten riskier as I've gotten older? And do I need to make some adjustments to that? And I would contend the answer to that, folks, is yes, especially this past year. I mean, the things inside of our portfolio that's given us the best gain have also been the things with the most risk. It and there's nothing wrong with us being able to control our risk. It helps us control that risk when things go down, too. It's more complicated than the old formula of... 60-40 stock bond split or 70-30 stock yeah, bond well, split? Yeah, split. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, the world's a lot more complicated, but at the same time more precise. And so beta, it, 
you know, every investment you have in your 401k or every mutual fund that you have, folks, it, they all know what their bait is on a daily basis and probably intraday. They know where their bait is in a portfolio, so they have a measure that they can quantify what the risk is in the portfolio. The unfortunate part is not many of us as individuals know what that is, um, especially if you have individual stocks. Remember, if you have a portfolio of mutual funds, you don't really have to worry about it so much because they're already doing that stuff. Those fund managers are already taking care of what the beta is in that portfolio. They're already watching that risk. But people with individual stocks don't. And a lot of times you'll have, we'll have people with individual stock portfolios and they're getting ready to go for retirement. And I'll create a beta-weighted average of the portfolio and I'll look at it and they're, and they're off the charts from a risk standpoint. And so you explain it to them, they go, well, no, we didn't know that. Well, it's because you had some really good stocks and they grew really, really fast. It's okay to take a little bit of profit and make sure that you have the risk parameters inside of your portfolio. So inside of here, what they're talking about, the volatility of high beta stocks, they're talking about the stocks that have more volatility to them but have also given us a great rate of return versus some defensive stocks, which would be the stocks that we have that might have a beta of 0.8 or uh, 0.9 or maybe even a, a beta of 0.7 that are good quality stocks and they pay more dividends and they have less of the tech volatility to them. And so sometimes we look at it and say, all right, let's take some chips off the table and make sure that a risk in our portfolio um, is where it's supposed to be. And what a, a great article that you found here, Tom. Truly, You is. know, you always talk about taking some chips off the table. How difficult mm -hmm. is it for you to convince your clients to do that? You just talked about the older gentleman who, was, who wanted all of these high-risk investment, <clears throat> investments and you had to talk him down from that. Um, well, I, him, I, I have know, to hit with a club. I'm going to use the craps table analogy again. I know how hard it is when people are at the craps table to back off and take chips off the table when a run has gone on for a long time, knowing that it's going to end eventually and you're going to lose mm -hmm. everything. Uh, how difficult is that for you to talk to people about that and have them actually do it? It depends upon the client. Um, you know, we, we give a, a give an example before with our client with Tesla and they were saying, well, we agree with you. Let's take some money off the table. So we took some money off the table and that worked out well. We bought some other stuff with it, and that also did okay. Um, uh, this, this one client, as again, we call him Jay, um, it, it's, it's, I think I'm going to have to beat him with a club to have him get rid of some of his Microsoft, though he is, he is talking about, he says, you know, I'm getting older and I'm going to need some of that money for retirement at some point in time. And so we've been actually having some discussions, um, but over the years to have him to stop, keep buying the, the next, uh, tech sector chip stock has just been absolutely crazy. But you know, that's what in our industry, from my side of the desk, is what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to add some reason in there uh, sometimes where people aren't thinking that same way because they're getting excited with the, um, you know, the euphoria of the stock price going up and thinking it's going to go on forever um, um, and not ever thinking about that it might go down at some point in time. So it's, that's part of the, the world that we live in and what we do for clients. You hear me coughing right now. That's not COVID, by the way. I've just uh, got some coffee down the wrong the wrong two here. So, I'm yeah. just going with COVID, just like there's no <laughs> yeah. flus every anymore. Cough. Every cough, every cough is COVID. Right, every okay. every flu is COVID. Yeah. Everything's COVID. Uh, let's talk a little bit about. I saw a story here from Kenneth Squire on CNBC talking about investor activism down overall in 2020, but big companies still face scrutiny. Um, when you are looking at a company as a possible investment for yourself or for a client, do you look at what's going on in the company's boardroom? regarding how the investors, how the shareholders, how the board of directors is dealing with the people running the company? Are they, do they like the, the direction the company's taking? Are they challenging the, uh, the CEO and the CFO about certain policies? Uh, and how far can a board of directors go with what they call investor activism mm -hmm. to change the direction of a particular company without 
basically just firing the CEO and starting over. Sure. Um, you have about five different questions in there. Uh huh. Well, good. That that'll, so, that'll take you about ten minutes. That'll That's take good. you about ten minutes. Yeah, it's perfect time. So, in here, folks, um, do we look at what goes on with side of the board of directors and the investor activism? Maybe if that's what the company is. Um, do we look at what the, the board of directors and the insiders are doing? The answer is yes. So if I'm researching for a client or researching for a client or researching for a stock for a client or for whomever, we, we look at the individual stock and not only do we want to look at the financials. I always look at trends. Are the trends going up or down? Uh, the biggest thing I look for is, is uh, are sales going up and down? Is the bottom line going up and down? Or are they increasing corporate debt? That's the first things I look at. How are they doing compared to their, uh, uh, their competition? And then finally, I want to know are the insiders buying or selling the stock, and you can find that stuff pretty readily on the internet these days. I'll look at it. So the internet, it's, uh, are the the insiders are they buying the stock? I like it when the insiders are buying their own stock. Um, you know, the office and trustees and so forth. I like that a great deal. If they're selling it off in droves, unless it was something that they announced and they didn't announce that they're doing this, and you can usually see if they're selling off a bunch of stuff for charity. You'll see those types of notes. That doesn't really excite me too much. I'm okay with that. Um, but you know, so we'll do that. But sometimes you see a company that's just a really good company, they're not doing any of that, but they're not making any money, and they should be. Um, you know, a, a big example of this for many people was General Electric. Why is a company this big not making any money? And so you even get what's called, you know, in, uh, investor activists or um, the term. And, and uh, there's many of them that have been out there. You know, T-Bow and Pickens for a long time would go in and. And Carl Icahn, they'd get into a company, they'd get on the board of directors, they'd buy enough shares that they could start influencing board of directors, bringing more boards of directors and people in, and they change the whole dynamic dynamic of the company and how it's going to work, either by breaking it up or doing some things differently to try to extract some value that's inside of that company that's just sitting there because they think that the management of the company is doing something wrong. So if you start to see some of that stuff happen, um, uh, Warren Buffett, of course, has done some of this, except Warren Buffett tends to just go in and, and buy the whole company. Um, but, you know, sometimes you look at this and say, well, is what the activism doing, the activists that are going in, um, are they doing, are they going to release some some profit or some value inside of this company? And then you certainly look at it because you want to get behind and, and, and ride that wave along with them if you can, especially if it's a company you already like. All right, let's go to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Hi, this is Joe. Hi, Joe. You you're doing, on with, morning, Joe. You're on with Merle. Go ahead. Um, I just wanted to say, Tom, you must be the loneliest liberal on the planet. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I had a question for uh, Merle about this company called Lemonade, and I found it on uh, Motley Pool, and it was one of the recommendations. I didn't invest in it, but I was interested in the concept of the public benefit corporation part of it. Okay. Um, Apparently, it's an insurance company that gives back um, unused claims to charity or something like that. Now, is that something that it, an investor goes in with the mindset of that your investment is more of a of a public good thing, or is it you invest in that for growth? Um, Joe, I can't comment on Lemonade. I don't know anything about them as a company, so I have to make sure that I preface that. But, you know, I, I've, I've worked with a lot of companies and a lot of individuals, and, and there's a lot of mutual funds even that are out there. Uh, that I always try to do something back or to do good or something of that nature. And and I don't have a problem with if a company wants to do that and if investors want to invest in companies that do that type of good work and, and uh, goodwill. I never have a problem with that. I think it's fantastic. But usually you have to look at it in a sense that um, what's it doing to the bottom line? Um, you know, Joe, 
I'm a, I'm a uh, big giver. I, I give all the time. I'm a very charitable person. And I do that for me. But when I do that, I'm doing it certainly at the expense of my pocketbook because here, my pocketbook is having that expense. Here's some and so de- you have to look at those companies some and say, details are they about doing lem- at the expense of uh, profit? Some details about Lemonade for you, Merle. Uh, it's on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, its business model differs from that of a typical insurance company in that it keeps a flat 25% fee of the customer's premium while setting aside the remaining 75% to pay claims and purchase reinsurance. Unclaimed premiums, as our caller says, goes to a nonprofit of the user's choosing in an annual giveback. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're registered as a public benefit corporation, and their stated mission is, quote, transforming insurance from a necessary evil into a social good. They're a uh, company that offers renters, homeowners, and pet health policies in the U.S. and other policies in Germany, sure. the Netherlands, and France. Yep. And so so in that, what they're doing, fantastic. I, how can you fault that? Um, but if we take a look at it from a growth and you want to invest inside of a stock, and if you have that one, you have XYZ and you have ABC next to it, um, and uh, they all have the same type of a, a profit and potential growth in our, of, our, of our account or our investment inside of them, and these guys have the ability to do some good and still have the same thing on the bottom line, they certainly would be the preferential company, at least in my mind, at least from a, a, a good standpoint. So that's well, how I know I the stock it. is very high right now because yeah. I looked at it the other day, it was up about $50 a share. So yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that maybe it's becoming a trend among younger and, investors. And, and Joe, yeah, you're hitting right on my head, is it right, right on what I was going to say. Is, is you know, uh, perhaps it's a trend, remember? What's happening is is uh, when you have a lot more buyers and sellers, it tends to drive the price up, and that might be the case. And so if it's running up, fantastic. If they're hitting their profit numbers on the bottom line, they're doing some good at the same time, and people are getting behind the stock, fantastic. You can make sure you run that up. But you always want to make sure then, Joe, on this instance, if they're running up this quick, um, make sure that you have the ability to pull the trigger so you're not getting caught when it comes back down. Because usually when things trend up really, really fast, they have a tendency of tending, uh, trending back down again, too. Yeah, you're not kidding when you say that it's trending up uh, from a low in November of under sixty dollars a share or lower than that. It's now up to one hundred and eighty dollars a share right now. Yeah, this is phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. All right, appreciate the call. So thanks, thanks very for the much. Tip. Appreciate it. Seven one five eight four five twenty one fifty five is the number to call. We need to take a break. We'll come back with more. If you have a question from Earl, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. Avenue in Weston. Habitat thanks Midwest Communications for making this announcement possible. The vaccines are here. Initial phase is what we are calling a controlled pilot. Who's getting them? To medical personnel, doctors, nurses, frontline workers, and the most vulnerable populations. Where are they getting them? In total, 636 sites nationwide. As we face perhaps the biggest challenge of our time. Each Friday, we will announce new weekly allocations. We'll keep you up to date and informed. It's likely that another vaccine may be authorized. We're recommending that everyone take the vaccine. WSAU and WSAU.com. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, Merle Kelch, <coughs> Kelch and Associates in Wausau, 715-845-2155. We just have a few minutes left. What else did you want to touch on today? Go ahead, hit Twitter you want to. <laughs> well, you you got to do it. You have to. Well, yeah. you know, I just, obviously, the news from yesterday, the, the president uh, has been banned from Twitter, and I would imagine a number of his followers will be so upset they will get rid of Twitter, mm-hmm. too. What does that mean for Twitter's bottom line? Or what is it going to mean for Twitter's <laughs> bottom line? Well, you know, I don't know, but I can only suspect they're going to lose um, they're they're going to lose people, obviously, and lose some revenue. And I hear the same thing has happened along with Facebook and others. You know, remember MySpace? 
I remember MySpace. Huh. They were the early version of Facebook, for lack of a better term. And they're gone. And Actually, they're still around. Yeah, well. Nobody uses them, but yeah, they're still well, around. So, so, so what ends up happening inside of this is that, you know, eventually these guys are just simply going to prove that they don't need to have the uh, protections of, what is it, 239? Um, they don't need to have the protections because they're, they're acting as a media outlet and they should be open to media that the stuff that they have is correct. My opinion, but they just continue to keep proving that they're the case when they're doing stuff like this. I found this. it interesting, though. Because, and they, I mean, they shut down POTUS, too. I mean, they didn't just shut down Trump, but they also shut down POTUS. Somebody somebody made the comment that they found it very interesting that uh, all of this happened shortly after they realized that it would be the Democrats that would be controlling all of the committees that investigate their, their actions uh, mm-hmm. now. <laughs> so, so, so with this, one, uh, I, there's no doubt that they're going to lose uh, um, uh, subscribers, is that the term? They're going to lose subscribers. If they lose too many of them, they're going to end up losing revenue fees. Um, people are going to go to other sources, which they're already out there, and they're being advertised other sources that don't pull this kind of crap. Um, um, I, I just think it's a bad move make on their clear, part. Though, I think it's a bad move on their part. Um, it, and it may be, but we should make clear that all of the people that are complaining that it's an, it's an abridgment of First Amendment rights, that it, it's not. First Amendment doesn't cover private companies. Private companies can do whatever they want when it comes to this stuff. I mean, if But they, they're, they're a public company. But they're, they're but they're, but they're 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 not a First Amendment does not apply to companies. First Amendment applies to normal citizens. I mean, no one's stopping Donald Trump from going down in the park in Washington D.C. and screaming out his opinions as much as he wants. Correct. Uh, so that's a, that would be a First Amendment right. right. If you went down to the corner and started giving a speech, and the uh, the guys in the black suits came and took you away, that would be an abridgment of your First Amendment rights. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Um, so, so in here, the, the issue comes in is that um, Facebook, Twitter, others, um, they have basically shielded against them. They say it's an open forum. You can say whatever you want to. So, therefore, they're with not limits. directed. With, well, with limits. I mean, there are certain – they have rules. Now, a lot sure. of people have argued that Trump and his some of his people have broken those rules for years and gotten away with it. And, and everybody probably has. A lot of people have, yeah. right. And I'm not saying just Trump. Everybody has. Right. But the, the problem comes in is when you have Twitter, you have Facebook, that then just simply starts saying, well, we, we don't like this guy, so we're, gonna, um, we're going to stop his account, we're going to say what somebody says, we're going to limit what he says. And it doesn't matter who it is. As soon as they start doing that, they've crossed a line from being just an open forum uh, to now being a media company and a broadcaster. And so just like, a, um, just like you and I sitting here, uh, the reason we have compliance, the reason we have television, radio, and everything else, they're bound by what's being said is accurate, um, and if it's wrong, they're liable for suit. And that's what these uh, media social but they're companies not. are trying at, at to do. This, they're not. They're not at this point. In time. Right. That's one of the things that's been trying so to like push when we run the last poli- several when months. When we run political advertising on this radio station, if you hear political ads from <laughs> PACs or from campaigns, the, the spots can be filled with nonsense, and there's nothing we can do about it. We but can't have, change it. But they have the legal tag on the bottom of them, so you know who's responsible. Yes, that's true. And that's the part that has to be done. All right, I tell you what, we're almost out of time here for today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday, how can they do that? Well, we will be in the office on Monday morning. Um, stop on in for a cup of coffee on 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street here in Wausau, Wisconsin. Uh, stop and give us a call locally, 715-849-3600. Outside of the Wausau area at 866-355-5100. Got it this week. <laughs> or find us online at kelchinassociates.com. Yeah, that's the other thing. You've been giving that phone number out, and all of a sudden, sometimes you get on autopilot, and then oh, yeah. all of a sudden you forget what it is. Yeah. I've done that. Somebody asked me for my phone number the other day, and I, I, I couldn't remember it. <laughs> I couldn't remember my own phone number. It's really annoying. I forget who my wife is sometimes. Okay. All right. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, brother. Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates here in Wausau. And we've got uh, the news. The polka shows are on the way. Badger hockey this afternoon. The Badger men back at it, taking on number one-ranked Minnesota. <laughs> 
And we'll have that for you with the pregame show at 3.30 right here. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. 